Hello, everybody. Welcome to a very delayed episode of 2, 5, and 10. Uh, what a better intro than, I mean, for our Valentine's Day song, well, show. Um, everyone, I apologize. The delay was on me. I've been sick. I'm extremely raspy. I sound like shit. Uh, Benny is going to carry us this whole show. Ben, give him a shout. I, I love that you played our uh, our anniversary song as the intro. Hey, everybody falls in love sometimes, pal. Right, yeah, glad you're alive. Glad we're able to pull this one off. Uh, midweek, a lot of news going on, but uh, you chose a beautiful time to get the sickness. Yeah, I mean, ho- hopefully I'm recovered for a nice uh, Valentine's Day dinner tomorrow night, you know, with Big Red. And um, yeah, and then I can come home and go to bed because I'm probably still going to be gassed. And NyQuil has been m- my first true love currently. I was thinking if you were going to be sick for the whole week, because I know you were like basically battling the flu, that you would hold off until next Sunday and then just do one mega like two and a half hour episode. <laughs> I, I I thought about it, but there's been like so much shit this week that I was like, you need to suck it up for an hour, pussy. Talk, <laughs> and then you can go to bed and do whatever it is you do. Sit on the couch and whine, but like this has to be talked about. It was a very big week in the NHL. It's almost playoff time, so it's playoff podcast energy. That's right, baby. Give give me that. Well, actually, I can't even take the um. I can't take the penicillin that they'd give me because I get a rash from it. So, w- whatever the doctor would give me, the athletic trainer, shoot me up. Let's go. We're ready. Episode twenty. Big boy shit. Um, Austin Matthews five year extension, eleven point six three four average annual value. What do you think? You you think that's fair market for him? For a first contract after the entry level, I think that sets a record for highest uh, AAV uh, for a new deal. I know Taves and Kane, I think, make 12 uh, a year, but that wasn't their uh, second deal. The thing, very fair deal. I was surprised that it was only five years because uh, that sets Matthews up where in five years he'll get another mega deal if he stays healthy and then even if he signs a max eight-year deal there, he can still probably sign another pretty solid deal in his mid to late 30s uh, before calling it quits. So this kind of sets him up to make a hell of a lot of green over the course of his career if he stays healthy. Um, from the management side, I know Toronto's been getting a lot of blowback because this is his second major deal they've signed in the last six months, the other one being to Tavares, where they basically paid out the majority, like almost 75 to 78% of the contract as a signing bonus. A lot of and the NHL is kind of looking at it as, is that salary cap circumvention because of the way it alters how it works under the cap. So that's something to keep an eye on in terms of contract structure with Mitch Marner coming up soon. Uh, but I don't know if you think the term's too short or if you think it's like pretty good for it. 22-year-old franchise guy. No, I'm with you. I was surprised it was only for five years. I thought that it would have been a max deal. So to me, it makes me think that maybe they believe they only have a five-year window. So instead of going max, they can kind of readjust as they see fit. Another thing, too, that I was looking at, and this is before they even have Marner on the cap for next year. Currently for next year, Tavares is on for eleven. Nylander 6.9, Matthews 11.64, Marlowe 6.25, and Kadri at 4.25. And then you got to put Marner up there. And I mean, there's discussion with the amount of points and how much healthier he stays than Matthews that why are they not going to be identical deals? His agent came out and said he's not taking a hometown discount. Matthews didn't. He's going to be a Maple Leaf, but he's not taking a discount. So if we can say that Tavares, Matthews, and Martin are each going to make 11 a year, that's $33 million up front before anybody else. That's a yeah. lot of dough. That like, 
I know I, I've beaten the horse a little bit, but like the Bruins have Marchand, Pasternak, and Bergeron for nineteen million. They don't even have two players for that. So to me, it's a little scary. Um, as for his agent, I mean, good job in the sense of doing it all sign-in bonus wise because if the league does lock out, those sign-in bonuses are guaranteed. Exactly. So regardless of whatever happens, he's getting paid. So good for him on that end. And I mean, the first two years, like this July 1st and next July 1st, it's like $15 million. Here you go, XOXO. That's crazy. The, the thing with, like you, men- <laughs> like you mentioned, all that money that they're going to be paying, that you didn't even mention a single defenseman as part of that salary cap crunch. And usually you can have guys where if you pay up big up front, it's because you know you have at least two to three years of top talent that are on a entry-level contracts on the back end where they're coming in near the league minimum for a couple of years. And then once they're coming up in their deal, you're hoping that a couple of vets up front leave. So they kind of balance it that way. The Maple Leafs don't really have that. They have McDermott, who is pretty solid, possible top four guy. I know Morgan Riley is there, but he's going to have to get paid eventually in the next few years. So it's going to be a major pain in the ass. One thing I was thinking about for a team like Toronto is Major League Baseball has started doing something where a team will sign a prospect that's in double A, about to go into triple A to a like a four or five year deal for a couple million dollars a year. And that gives them cost certainty and it gives the player who hasn't even made the majors yet uh, guaranteed money. And I wonder if NHL teams might start doing that, where if they draft a Mitch Marner fourth overall, they can, after the entry-level deal, even if he's still in the minors, they just sign him long-term, seven, eight-year deal or five-year deal for a couple million dollars. And then if he blows up, he's way below value for a couple more years. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that GMs kind of hit or miss on now. Like, I feel like Eiserman down in Tampa was really good at it when he locked up Johnson for long-term. And um, Jesus Christ, what's the other one down there? I'm just completely. Kucherov. Yeah, Kucherov. See, that it's the sickness. I'm not just losing it. But um, he's getting these guys at great value long term, like right off their entry level. So I think you have to be a really good assessor of talent to know exactly what you're getting into. Like it, I know it's scary, but all these guys are coming off these entry levels now, and they're all expecting big boy money. Like, the Bruins are going to be with it this summer. Like, McAvoy comes off his entry level. What's he going to want? Is he going to want a bridge or a max? And what yeah. are you going to pay him? But at the same time, he hasn't really been that reliable with his injuries. So it's like, I don't know. You have to be a really good talent assessor, man, whether it's the GM or the scouting staff. Like, someone has to wear that. Because if you sign somebody long-term and they're a dud for big money, I know usually the GM's the scapegoat, but there's a whole bunch of pieces that fall in line here. Yeah. And I credit Glenn Sather with the idea of the two year bridge deal. Cause that's what he did with the Rangers for a few years uh, after paying Lundquist that massive deal in order to keep the core intact for as long as possible. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. And Warner starts negotiating no hometown discount. I wouldn't be giving one either because Hey, if I can get traded pretty much whenever the team decides to move on from me or they can bury me in a minors because it's, quote-unquote, just a business, then I'm going to get as much money from you because it's just a business. Never hungry league, pal. Plenty of dough to go around. Exactly. Um, well, I guess we can talk about guys that are on entry levels. Um, do you think the Calder race is back on? Uh, obviously, Elias Peterson has been the front runner this whole time, but Carter Hart has come onto the scene and he's ripping it up. I think Philly finally found a goaltender 20 years later. Um, <laughs> rookie of the month last month, 7-0-0, uh, 0.934 save percentage, 2.40 goals against. I mean, the, the kid's been lights out. He's been playing phenomenal. So I just don't know as to what's going to be next for them. I mean, I think we can all agree that Peterson kind of has it locked up, but he's also missed a lot of time too. So, I mean... Do you think that Hart and Peterson kind of equal each other out in the sense of time and all that? Uh, so I have a natural 
hesitation for giving a half season of a goaltender's work to the Calder Cup after the whole Jim Carrey shit that happened in the late 90s, I believe, for the Bruins. But, yeah, he's played well. He's leading the, He's already leading the uh, league among rookies and wins uh, among goalies with 11. Uh, he The Flyers' big-time turnaround coincided with him taking over the number one job. So he's definitely played well. Uh, to be honest, I don't even think he's the best rookie goaltender that's turned the se- team season around. I think that's Jordan Bennington in St. Louis. Uh, 10 wins, 1.82 goals against average, 9.27 save percentage. The Blues are on an eight-game win streak. I know we'll touch on that a little bit later, but I don't even think Hart's the best rookie goaltender right now. Uh, we'll see what happens as the season wraps up, but I think those two kind of cancel each other out. Uh, I know Pedersen's had a really good year around some injuries, but to be honest, I think if I'm voting for voting for the rookie of the year right now, I'm giving it to Dallin in Buffalo. Number one defenseman, always defenseman always take much longer to adjust to the pro game. Comes in first overall pick, all that pressure, uh, franchise guy. He's currently averaging over 20 minutes of ice time a game for the Sabers. I. Uh, on pace for 46 points. He hasn't missed the game, just playing top pair minutes. I think right now, in terms of development aspect, he's my rookie of the year. Yeah, because he came in quiet. Um, like you said, he's been very consistent, just logging the minutes, getting points. I believe he's already had 30 points, too. So yeah. the, the kid's definitely playing, developing, like you said. I, I know Peterson kind of came on in a flash, so maybe that's where all the eyes went to. But I'm with you. There's definitely other candidates there, so... I think it makes it very interesting as to who you like, who you pick. Like you said, I mean, being a number one overall pick, they say defense in hockey is probably the hardest position. So getting those fundamentals down from one level to the next, developing, becoming a superstar, probably can already say he's a superstar. So very interesting. Yeah, and I don't expect... Pedersen not to get the rookie of the year because he's playing in a Canadian market. He's gotten a lot more flash and attention this year versus Dolan, who's, like you said, flown under the radar. Uh, And plus, I mean, Pedersen, he's what? Already has 25 goals on a year. He's over 50 points. So he wouldn't be undeserving. I just think it's easier to be like an 18, 19, 20-year-old forward on a rebuilding team than it is to be a number one defenseman on a team contending for a legit playoff spot like that and holding your own. I agree. And I hope it just doesn't come down to points. Like you said, I hope everything gets brought into consideration. Um, moving on, there's been some, some movement this week. Uh, the New Jersey Devils sent Brian Boyle to Nashville for a second round pick. Thoughts on that? Big Brian Boyle. Uh, Loved him on his time with the Rangers, even though his big six foot six frame couldn't score a goal to save his life on a power play in front of the net. Um, good move for Nashville. They were looking. I, we talked about this last episode with the uh, Austin Watson suspension about them bringing in some grit. They brought in Cody McLeod as a part time fourth line enforcer type. Uh, Boyle comes in. He can play three C. He can play the wing. Uh, good penalty killer. A lot of size. Uh, a lot of playoff experience, so uh, that won't hurt the room at all. Second-round pick, good return for New Jersey. He's actually been traded pretty much. He was traded to the Rangers for a third-round pick. He was traded, I, be- I forget, to Tampa, I think, for a third, and now he's traded again for a second. So he's pretty much holding his value throughout the length of his career. Do you think with him going for a second, though, this is kind of foreshadowing as to uh... – people at the deadline are definitely going to be expecting some sort of return. Yeah, I mean, if he's getting a second-round pick, um, I know Nate Thompson was traded to a similar player, uh, a little less talented, going to Montreal for the playoff push. If he's getting a second-round pick, I forgot who was traded recently where I was kind of surprised at the return, and I was like, if he gets that, then Zuccarello better get a first. Uh, But yeah, I think it's very much a seller's market right now. Yeah, I mean, especially on a team like New Jersey, where I think we all agreed last year was kind of lightning in a bottle for him with the whole Taylor Hall carrying that team into the playoffs. And this year, 
struggled since the beginning. It has not been a good year for them. So selling, good for them. I'm with you. Great pickup for Nashville. Uh, very big body. I saw the game on Sunday. They had him on that PP1 just in front of the net, just causing a ruckus, big screen. Um, they didn't shoot the puck, but he was there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, definitely interesting to see. I mean, uh, this only strengthens Nashville absolutely right up the middle. Yeah, and um, the thing with New Jersey is, like, last year was a fluke. This year they're at the bottom of the league. I think next season is the last year in Taylor Hall's contract, right? So they may be facing a decision where they may have to decide to remove him before we lose him for nothing. This has been the new game of the NHL as to whether you wait to the deadline, whether you get to the draft. But like I said, I think Tavares sent that market, man. When he left and the Islanders got nothing, it was a big thing. But now you look at the Islanders and they look pretty good. So I don't know which way you think, but they definitely could have got a haul for him at the deadline. Yeah, because Panarin, if he's moved, is going to get a pretty good return for Columbus. And Tavares is, plays a more vital position, and he's more of a franchise guy than Panarin is playing all situations. So, yeah, the Islanders missed the boat on that one. It seems like they're going to recover a lot quicker than everybody thought. Um, but, yeah, if I'm New Jersey, I don't expect them to be contending next year either. So, at that point, it's do we sign Hall long-term, which wouldn't be a bad move on its own. Or do we cash in for like two or three uh, chips and see where it takes us and s- spread that money out? Yeah, I mean, he, he said he likes playing there because obviously when he was in Edmonton, everyone sees you, everybody knows you. says he lives in the city there. I don't know if it's Hoboken or Jersey City, but he says, I get on the train, I take it into New York, I kind of walk around, I'm a tourist, yeah, I get a couple of gold devil, you know, go devils with the hand pump, and that's it. So, I mean, definitely... A lot easier of an environment to live in, that's for sure. Is he he is living in New Jersey as a pro hockey player that can just take the train in New York and he's making that much money? What is he doing? <laughs> like, I don't care if he's living in Jersey City. I hope he's not living in fucking Newark because that Canadian voice for a rude awakening. No, no, it was Jersey City or Hoboken. It was one of them. Uh, Jesus. Well, I, he needs, one of his teammates needs to pull him aside and be like, dude, what are you doing? Yeah, which one of these is better? I don't know. <laughs> uh, going on to our next discussion here. It finally happened. Finally happened. Randy Carlisle is fired in Anaheim. And in an interesting move, the GM, Murray, is going to take over coaching. What are your thoughts on that? Murray has never coached in his life. So... It's kind of like when Lamorello came down in New Jersey uh, a couple times, mid-season firings before bringing in somebody else. So I don't think it's going to hurt Anaheim in a sense of his inexperience as a coach isn't going to hold them out of the playoffs. They're not going to make it anyway. And it gives someone in his position the ability to see how the locker room is because he indicated part of the main reason why they fired Carlisle was the team, quote-unquote, lacked energy, which means they quit on him. So I think this is his way of seeing firsthand if there's something wrong in the locker room, who's a part of it, who he wants to keep uh, as the GM heading into the deadline in the summer. So he's getting a firsthand look at that. Carlisle, I don't think anybody was on board with him coming back for version 2.0 with Anaheim, even though he's the winningest coach in Ducks history. He led them to the Stanley Cup uh, back in the day. Uh, this is basically a mercy fire, and they've lost like 20 of 23 at one point or something like that. So uh, it's going to be interesting. Murray, to be honest, if I'm the owner, I'm letting him go too uh, now before the deadline if he's planning on making any big moves because his roster construction has kind of helped them go down to the bottom of the standings in the Western Conference. With him going into the room... And- and he didn't fire any of the assistants. It was strictly just Carlisle. With that, I mean, obviously the assistants are going to be doing the brunt of the X's and O's. I think Carlisle is just going to be a body there, kind of, like you said, watching around, seeing body language, seeing movements as to who blends and who doesn't. With that, yeah, I mean, I, I think they have to be very active at the deadline. I, I just don't know 
if players stop playing for you as a coach, it's one thing. But it seems like this team just didn't want to play the whole season. It wasn't just the coach. Like, that they hadn't won a game. They have two wins in their last, like, 56 days. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I just don't know how that's acceptable. And I think we touched on it two weeks ago here where we said Brian Murray says he is not going to fire Andy Carlisle. Why? Like, I, I just don't know why he waited so long for. One thing I understand is the San Diego Gulls in the AHL, they're in a very good place, and they're able to make a very good run at the Calder Cup. So maybe he doesn't want to mess with their head coach down there, Dallas Eakins. And maybe it's another thing, too, for the future of if Eakins is already down there with those players, he can then bring them up to the next level, and they're already willing to play for him. Maybe that's their reasoning i don't know as in another thing too is do you think now he looks at either gets laugh or perry to see if one of them is going to be on the move yeah your point about eakins first like murray did come out and say he hasn't called up troy terry he hasn't called up uh sam Steele because he didn't want to mess up the ahl team success so far who gives a fuck about the success of the AHL team? Your responsibility is to field the Stanley Cup winner and keep that going. You're not going anywhere. You're wasting evaluation time, especially if you're going to be in the room as the coach for the rem- remainder of the year, not calling up Sam Steele, not playing Max Jones more, not playing Troy Terry, uh, and giving them time and seeing what they have. Like There isn't a bad core up front of young guys. If those guys pan out, you have Max Jones, Sam Steele, Troy Terry, uh, Ricard Raquel is still there. Uh, Daniel Sprong has played well ever since getting out of the shadow of Pittsburgh. So that's not too bad, but I don't give a shit about the AHL team if I'm a GM of the Anaheim Ducks trying to figure out what the future holds for the team. Well, but the your point... Thing, of, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say the other thing too is his job is to show people players. So one of those kids, if he brings them up and they can perform at the NHL level, he might have to deal them to get a return. Like he, he has to be able to show certain players. I know the Bruins have brought up a lot of guys and a lot of it's injury wise, but at the same time, there's certain guys we haven't seen. It's due to, you can't judge an AHL player at an NHL level unless he plays at the NHL level. That's why you always see this time of the year, people being brought up, people getting seen about five, six games, and then they're being brought down, and then the chatter happens. So I just don't get, as a guy who's been around this long in Murray, like like you said, I mean, he has to be gone too because there's no incentive to even save his own ass. Exactly. He's acting like he has his job held up, and maybe he has been promised that behind closed doors already by ownership, but... To get to your second question about guys like Perry and Getzlaff, Perry has no trade value. First of all, him, Getzlaff, and Ryan Kessler all have no movement clauses. Uh, they're all in their mid-30s. Kessler is basically done at this point, but he signed for three more years at $6.8 million a year. So you're probably going to have to buy him out. Perry just has played five games this year. He's 33. He's getting $8.6 million a year for two more years after this year. Getzlaff's the only guy there that might have value because he's still playing all right. He's not the top-line franchise forward that he was in his prime. But even he has $8.2 million a year for the next two years. So you're probably going to have to eat money on that too. Uh, so that Kessler deal was odd to begin with, but with him falling off because of his style of play, Perry's falling off, Getzlaff is just going through his normal age curve. They're all tied up with no movement clauses. I think the biggest thing is that Adam Henrique extension. 29 years old. It hasn't even kicked in yet. Starts next year. $5.825 million a year for five years for a guy who's at best a 20-goal, 25-point, 25-assist-a-year guy who can play pretty much third-line center, and you're paying him almost $6 million a year. That's With the other contracts on your books, you're getting screwed in that sense. The craziest part is, like, if that's what a 50-point guy is going for, like, now you want to, like, this is why all these guys go to free agency. Like, talk about show me the money. Like, people are just going to throw it at you. 
if Adam Henrique is worth five point six million, that like that's fucking insane. The Rangers have Zibanejad locked up for five mil for like the next few years. Like that's a steal at this point. Um, the rest of their cap situation: Cam Fowler signed for like forever at six and a half million a year. He's not a bad player. He's not a number one guy. Him and Lind- Lindholm are good on the back end, but after that, they have nobody on the back end. They don't even have prospects. Like they have Delzato in their starting lineup. Uh, Jacob Megna's there, so nothing really going on there. And plus today they put Gibson on long-term IR because why? Even though he's actually hurt, why play him anyway in, in front of this team? It's it's just an absolute disaster out there. Like it is insane. Like he one buyout. Who are you going to buy out? Kessler or Perry? I. Just off production, I got to go Kessler. I, I think his hips are just completely fucking toast. I mean, maybe you're able to just long-term IR him, and that way you don't have to buy him out. He doesn't hit the cap. But I, I just don't think he has what it is anymore, and no one's going to pay him that money. So, I mean, maybe if someone sent them away and they ate about $3 million of it and it was like a, a split, maybe you keep him as that third-line center. Just, you know, very big face-offs and things like that. But he's beat up, man. He, he's played a very hard style, and it's nothing against Kessler. But I just don't think his body is held up. Exactly. And if I'm Bob Murray, I think my priority number one is moving Henrique before that extension kicks in over the summer. Um, you're probably going to have to eat money on that deal, too, which if you have to keep eating money on deals that you're trading away, that tells you all you need to know about how much you – overpaid for that player but moving him trying to gain a little bit more flexibility because like i said they're probably going to have to eat or buy out at least kessler probably Corey perry unless one of them decides to retire which would help the cap situation and jacob silverberg upcoming free agent he's 28 years old he is what he is he's a solid two-way guy he can pop in 20 goals maybe 25 in the right situation move him for a prospect and a pick at the deadline and move on yeah, I've seen the Bruins tied to him, and I just don't see what he offers us, but that's another topic. Soft as fucking jam. Those Yeros, man. Um, <laughs> going on to it, I mean, the Western Conference, the playoff push is on. Currently in those last two wild card spots, we have St. Louis with 61 points, and then right behind them, Minnesota at 59. Um Thoughts on the rush? I mean, Vancouver at 57, Arizona 55, Colorado 55, the Blackhawks at 55, and they, before they lost to the Bruins, they were on like a seven-game win streak. So, Yeah, the Western Conference is still bunched together with a bunch of shit teams. Uh, St. Louis, they've won seven in a row. They're actually only two points behind Dallas for third in the uh, Central Division playoff bracket, which is incredible. So that was something that, I thought for the second half would be possible they'd make it as a wild card shot, but they could actually end up making it in the bracket itself. Minnesota is only there because the rest of the uh, conference sucks. I don't know. Like, for me, the two main areas I focus on when looking at a playoff race is regulation, overtime wins, and the goal differential. And if you look at the Western Conference, you have Vancouver, Arizona, Colorado, and Chicago really the only teams that I think could challenge Minnesota for that last wild card spot. <coughs> all 23 are under regulation overtime wins, all in incredibly negative goal differential. So all these teams are brutal. Um, I think it's just be a matter of which team gets hot last heading into the, like the final week or two of the season and just pulling out the extra point as we like to need. So it's kind of hard to handicap that. Yeah. St. Louis has been on a heater. Uh, they beat Nashville on a home-and-home home over the weekend. Uh, currently on a seven-game win streak, 8-2-0 in their last 10. Um, talk about getting hot at the right time. I think Craig Berube is finally getting what he wants out of his players, what Mike Yo couldn't. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about all year since before the season started about how good of a roster that St. Louis has, where it was shocking that they were at the bottom of the standings to begin with. So I think they're finally catching their stride. I can see them making a move uh, at the deadline for like a supplemental guy uh, to add to the lineup. 
the other thing in the Western Conference is you have San Jose overtaking Calgary. It's only by a point at this point, but uh, that's going to be a very down to the wire finish between those two teams. And the, and again, you have Winnipeg and Nashville kind of seesawing each other about who's going to be in first place because they they're on a three game win streak, and then vice versa. So it's Western Conference is basically still a battle of which shit team is going to get hot at the right time to make the last wild card spot. So can we already agree that going into the Western Conference final, it will be either Winnipeg, Nashville, San Jose, or Calgary, a mixture of that? Yeah. <laughs> All right. F- fair enough. I mean, I'm just looking at it, and th- that's the way I see it. I just don't see – I just don't really see any parity. Like, some of these teams kind of suck. I, I I think the Blues have finally got it together. Maybe they could sneak up on somebody. I mean, they played really good against Nashville. I saw the game. I was like, wow, they just they outwanted it two two games in a row, back to back games. They they just faster on the puck, faster on the forecheck. So I think now it's a will thing. And if they can outwill teams, they're doing really well. Yeah, and when it comes to the NHL as a whole, you have a group of elite legitimate Stanley Cup contenders. And in that group, I have San Jose, Winnipeg, Nashville, uh, Tampa, and that's it. Then you have the second tier of pretty good. It depends on the matchup. I wouldn't be surprised if they made it to the Cup Final or the Conference Finals. And you have teams like Calgary, Vegas, Washington, Pittsburgh, Toronto, Boston, uh, Columbus, kind of in that group. And then you have everybody else, which is either you're a bottom feeder or you're by default in the playoff race it's just crazy because i i almost expect more parity or just better teams but the west has just been so bad this year like teams that were fucking like 18 game losing streaks are like they still have a chance like it's it's fucking crazy like i thought st louis didn't even have a chance a month ago and here they are in a wild card spot and chicago is four points out the thing is I want to eliminate a couple teams, but before I say that, if you look at the Eastern Conference teams that are outside of the playoff picture, you have Carolina, Buffalo, Philly, even the Rangers would be in the playoff race comfortably in a Western Conference or like one point out. And they're just totally gassed in the Eastern Conference. There's no hope at that point. Looking at the Eastern Conference, the last two spots in the wild card, Montreal and Pittsburgh. Montreal, 69 points. Pittsburgh, 65. Carolina, just on the outside at 64. Buffalo, 63. Philadelphia, 59. Your Rangers, 56. What do you think's happening over there? Yeah, at this point, I think it's two separate races. You have the Islanders trying to hold off Washington for the Metropolitan Division Championship. You have Tampa has already cinched up the Atlantic. And then you have these two races, Columbus and Pittsburgh for the final spot in the Metro bracket with the loser of that race being one of the wildcard teams. And then you have Toronto, Boston and Montreal for the second and third spot in the Atlantic. And the other uh, loser goes to the wildcard spot. And then you have just hanging around. You never know. Carolina's getting on a little bit of a roll. Buffalo is still there after all their trouble. They might sneak into it. It's just, a bunch of little individual battles in the Eastern Conference versus just a bunch of crap teams seeing what's going to happen in the West. So this is a lot more interesting, a lot more dynamic in the East, and a lot more possibilities that will end up being incredibly fun as we head into like late March and April. This is the time of year, too, where you look at the calendar. And not to reference it because it happened, but my Bruins lost both games to you. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's going to hurt. I know they were both overtime losses, so we got a point out of each of them. But when you look back at the schedule, those are two games that we should have four points out of. So, like, those four points now, that's an extra two. We would be ahead of Tampa. I mean, ahead of Toronto. So, it's like, it's just kind of the way you look at it Where when you go back at the schedule and you're like, shit, we have to be better because games like this affect as to who we play or where we stand. Us in that third spot right now, we could play Toronto. If we drop down to that wild card one, we're going to the other side to play the Islanders. That's not a bad spot for us, as long as Columbus beats Washington. But that's a whole other thing. Yeah, just 
for me, going back to the Western Conference, I'm dead on arrival. Anaheim, LA, Edmonton, Chicago, um, and even Arizona, I'm going to go there. Uh, and Vancouver. So I'm eliminating those. I'm basically making it a race between Dallas, St. Louis, Minnesota, and Colorado for the third spot in the Central and the last two wildcard spots. Um, for the East, I'm going to... Uh, like, I root really hard for Buffalo just because of how bad they've been for a few years. I just... They have Hutt playing well. They have Omar playing well. They have some talent up front. Carolina the same way. They don't have the goaltending. So it's throwing a bubble there. I'm going to say wild card teams in the Eastern Conference are going to be Montreal and Washington. <coughs> I'm See, doing Islanders, Pittsburgh, Columbus in the Metro. Okay. So you think Washington falls a little bit? Yeah, Tampa, Boston, Toronto, and the Atlantic, and then it's Washington, Montreal wild card. Interesting. I mean, it would, it would be funny, too, if uh, Washington falls to that second spot, and it would be Tampa and Washington in the first round. That would be... Yeah, that barn burner. Yeah, so that would be interesting if... Uh, oh, sorry. A fucking way. wagon. Yeah, the fucking <laughs> wagon, kid. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of where I'm at at this point. Um, I just wish the playoffs were right around a corner because best two months of the year. Um, one other thing to talk about real quick on Sunday night at a team function, David Pasternak, oh, yeah. while waiting for his vehicle fell down, uh, hurt his thumb. It was not said as to what happened, had surgery and he will be reevaluated in two weeks. The way I'm looking at this is. Someone went out to the team function, had a little too much vino celebrating Bergie's thousandth, <laughs> knowing they had the day off Monday, and uh, a little drinky drink, waiting for an Uber. It wasn't slippery out Sunday. It was, it was pretty nice out, pretty warm. So um, I'm just saying, if you're going to call a spade a spade, I think uh, someone was a little wobbly, maybe messing around, maybe someone hip-checked them, and ba-boom. Not a good time. Like, this the worst time to happen. Um, one thing just to touch on, Patrice Bergeron is so good because Danton Heinen has done absolute dog shit. He goes on this line with Marshan and Bergeron and fucking here he comes. Here's Danton Heinen getting goals and assists and everything else. So it shows you as to how valuable Patrice Bergeron is because I think once his Pasternak comes back and Heinen goes back to that other line, see you later, no more Danton Heinen. So... I don't know. That's just my take on it. Yeah, I still out about passion lock. You know what it reminded me of? This is going way back. This way back in the time machine for your boy Ben here. 1993. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. Even though I was six, I remember my dad losing his fucking mind when this happened. Brian Leach went to went out and... <laughs> let me, let us see. Yeah, it was like March. So right before the playoffs started, 1993, Leach went out, had a good night in New York. Uh, he was getting out of a taxi to, uh, after the club or a bar or whatever to go back to his apartment in Manhattan, and he slipped on ice and then broke his ankle and missed the rest of the season, and the Rangers got knocked out, and everybody was like, he was drunk, he didn't have the team in mind, and once I heard about Pashenak slipping and breaking his finger or whatever out after a team event that's like oh boy brian leach i mean i i've heard of different things like even worse like do you remember the dustin penner uh throwing out his back while eating pancake story <laughs> so yeah. i mean like obviously there's worse things but at the same time you know brewing security if they're at a a team function sponsored team function whichever restaurant this is has security tapes the bruins have now purchased them and deleted them they're gone. They do not want people to know what this dickhead was doing. I I I, I play hockey. I fold my <laughs> like, like whatever. Like boys will be boys. I get it, but it's like maybe I'm taking it the wrong way. Maybe it was just one of those things. Maybe his girl was walking out and he wanted to give her his code and he slipped. So maybe this is on me. But that's just the way I interpreted the whole thing. I always think it's funny when a hockey player slips off the ice and gets hurt. Ironic, huh? 
See, uh, if he had skates on, he would have been fine. Uh, yeah, and I re- your Dustin Penitent reminded me of, I forget the guy's name, but I don't want to, I think it was Tyler Ennis. I'm not sure. My apologies if he ever hears this, and I, it, it wasn't him. It was a guy in the Sabres back in the early 2000s. Uh, he had to miss the playoffs, or at least one series, because of burns on his chest, because he was ironing a shirt that he was wearing. That's fucking impressive. <laughs> but yeah, I remember that too. <laughs> I like that. I'm I'm actually intrigued by uh by why you would iron a shirt on yourself. <laughs> uh, looking, Get done faster. Looking at time here, we're about forty minute mark. Benny, do do we go right to the end, or do you want to uh, touch on that picture we had talked about? We can touch on that. Uh, I don't know if you have had time or the mental capacity to. Think of uh, what I texted you about coming up with a few trades that you would make if you were a GM of like any team in the league. Because um, I was extremely bored that night and came up with a few for myself. <laughs> well, I will listen to yours. I yeah, I could not <laughs> fucking make up shit. Well, one of them one of them involves the Bruins, so you can tell me if it makes sense or not. But you're turning yeah. me on. Keep talking to me, baby. <laughs> Do you want to go over the uh, RFAs first? Yeah, we'll go over those real quick. Just, just basic, and we we can shoot it out to everyone. See what they think. We'll we'll post the picture on the Facebook page too. See what people think on it. Um, notable upcoming RFAs: uh, Miko Rantanen currently seventy four points, Braden Point sixty six points, Mitch Marner fifty oh sixty five points, Sebastian Ajo sixty points, Matthew Kachuk fifty seven points. These guys are all going to get paid off entry levels, like. Big money. Yes, ex- extremely paid. I was actually, we kind of talked at the, about this where could you envision an offer sheet going out? And I volunteered that the Rangers might do that just because it's becoming less and less of a unwritten code among GMs that you don't offer sheet somebody else's uh, young player that's a restricted free agent. Uh, so that's becoming a thing. And the Rangers have been loading up on picks and that's the point where free agency isn't going to bring them a young uh, kind of cornerstone type player and restricted free agency might be able to do that. The only thing is the compensation that would have to go back uh, the other way. I know certain players here are going to be like way out of like bounds to touch. Like obviously we could say, oh, RFA Mitch Marner. The other thing is this. You would have to offer him an insane amount of money for Toronto not to match it. Yeah. And then you're paying Toronto on the other end. So if you think Toronto is good now and then they take a whole bunch of first round picks, you're fucked. One person I'm interested to see payment wise, Matt Kachuk, when he got drafted, he was just known as kind of a power forward. Oh, he played on London nights. He played around good players, blah, blah, blah. Dude, he's dominating the league. Um, 57 points. The kid fucking, he gets in people's heads. He rattles the shit out of Drew Doughty every time they play the Kings. Like, a, a chop off the old block like his old man um, answers the bell when it comes time. I think he he's probably the best power forward in the league in the sense of actually playing. I'm not talking about Ryan Reeves coming down and laying you out and, and going back to the bench. I'm talking about actually being able to play the game. He's only 22. Yeah. yeah. When you sent me that, that was the f- immediately, I was like, if I'm the Rangers, I offer sheet him this year. Because if you're going to send an offer sheet, like you said, you can't offer Marner or um, like Ajo any of those deals because one, their teams are going to match. And two, they're in a position to match because of their either their resources or they're so far below the cap that they're going to match anyway, like Carolina. Calgary, on the other hand, they kind of loaded up a little bit. They still need goaltending. Their ownership's financial situation isn't too solidified because of the arena dispute that they're going through, where now it's getting to the point where there was kind of some talk about threatening to leave Calgary if they don't get funding for a new arena. Um, so I think somebody in Kachuk's situation in Calgary could be a, an option. And if I'm a Ranger, so the compensation, if you sign a guy – from $6 million to just over $8 million a year is a first, second, and third round pick. 
do you give that up in the upcoming draft for Kachuk? Because if you're the Rangers, that's a top 10 first round pick, um, a high second round pick, and a high third round pick. I think it all depends if if you look at this draft and you say these are three players that we know we can pick. The first round guy is going to come out and play. The second one might be a little bit of work, might be in the AHL for a little bit. The third one we can wait on. If you already have your plan in place, sure. But if it's only going to be a one, two, three this year and you're guaranteed a player of that caliber, I don't know why you don't pull the trigger for. Because, I mean, if you're going to wait on guys to develop, what's the big fucking deal? Yeah, plus he's 22 anyway. Basically, with the Rangers' first-round pick, you're hoping to draft a guy that becomes Matthew Kachuk. I think it all depends if that if it becomes the lottery pick. That, I think that's all they wait on to see how high that pick goes. Yeah, and looking at their cap situation, <laughs> they're locked up long-term. Johnny Hockey, 6.7. Strawn Monaghan, 6.3. James Neal, 5.7. Backlund's at 5.3. And Lindholm is at 4.8. That's not even uh, re-signing Sam Bennett, who's an RFA after this year, too. Um, on a back end, you're locked into Giordano, Hannafin, Brody, uh, Hamnick for another year. And then you still need goaltending. Like, both of your goaltenders are gone after this year. Riddich isn't really number one guy. So I think that's a situation to look out on. I wonder if, let's say you're the GM of Calgary, and I call you, and I'm like, listen, I'm going to offer Sheik Kachuk anyway, and you're going to lose him for a first, second, or a third. How about we work out a trade package where I send you prospects from our system in addition to picks without giving up our first rounder or a guy, a couple guys off our roster? If that's something you want to do, absolutely. I mean, the Bruins and Dougie, um, Dougie Hamilton, that was exactly what happened at that draft when we got the 14, 15, 16 picks or four, 15, 16, whatever those three picks were. Calgary called us and said, hey, we're going to offer Sheetham. Uh, we'll give you our first and third because that's what you would get on the other end if, if we sign him for whatever it was, 4.25. So Don Sweeney dealt him and he took it. So, yeah, I mean, if you can get more value in people who can actually play in your lineup now and you can get them locked in for longer term and it's more beneficial, I don't know why you wouldn't because, like you said, if they're not going to match it anyways, does a – First, second, and third round pick really mean that much to you outside of the first round pick? Yeah, exactly. And for the Rangers, if the Lightning win a Stanley Cup, they get their first round pick, but they're guaranteed the Lightning second round pick. They have an additional third, and that's not even counting picks they might get from dealing Kevin Hayes or Zuccarello at the deadline. So they may have multiple first, second, and third round picks, and even giving those up for Kachuk, they still have a first, second, and third rounder. (laughs) That would be huge for them. Yeah, so that's something I would look out on. Uh, I think he would fit in well rotting shotgun with Mika Zibanejad, kind of give him that protection, and then you slide Kreider and his big body down to uh, Philip Hedl's wing. That would be interesting. That would be a very heavy top line. Yeah, so we'll see. Uh, but yeah, as soon as I saw that graphic that you sent me, I was like, ooh, Kachuk's RFA, all right. Yeah, I'd, I'd want to see the paydays some guys are going to get. That's what I'm mo- most interested about, like the actual dollar amount. Yeah, I think Marner's going to get the most out of there, probably renting it, af- renting it after him. Yeah, I mean, Colorado has the cap, and Toronto's not going to lose them, so they're, they'll pay something. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, just to touch on, like I said, I was bored the other night. Kevin and I have spent some time talking about who's on a block, what we would do if – we were running the Rangers and the Bruins respectively and kind of just listening to all the rumors going around on hockey Twitter and reading articles on like the athletic about rumors. So I kind of just threw together a couple trade <laughs> ideas and I was going to run them past you to see what you thought. Um, if they're realistic or if the return isn't strong enough for the team dealing the guy. Uh, so three teams I identified that were in, in need of something. The San Jose Sharks need a goaltender. Uh, Martin Jones has a track record. He's just not been playing well this year. So I wasn't looking for them to trade for a guy that signed long-term to big money because they already have Jones locked up. And I'm not looking for a guy that would come in and demand to be the number one, kind of just riding the hot hand and seeing what where that takes you for the playoffs. So I had the Sharks trading uh, 
second round pick and defense prospect Jeremy Roy, who's a right-handed shot kind of two-way guy, to Edmonton for Cam Talbot. That's interesting. Who's a free agent at the end of the year? So yeah, they're not I mean, long, long term. And Edmonton doesn't have anything to lose at this point. Yeah. So you and they signed uh, the other goaltender. <laughs> I forget his name now to that long-term deal. So yeah, they're going to ride him anyway. Yeah, I mean, if I was Edmonton, I don't know why you don't pull the trigger. If in in two weeks, if they're completely out of the race, which we all seem to think, yeah, send them to San Jose, get something in return, and you can finally start rebuilding that D prospect. Yeah, and Talbot's had experience in the playoffs. He helped Edmonton uh, get there a few years back, so he's not phased really by anything in that sense. So I think him and Jones, similar type uh, body styles, big, tall goalies who cover a lot of space would fit into that system a little bit. So I was on a fence between him and Bobrovsky going to Edmonton, but uh, to San Jose, but I don't think San Jose is trying to disrupt the room that much. Um, my second idea was the Blue Jackets trading Panarin, uh, even though I think, especially since they've won four in a row now, that if I'm them, I just go for it, especially in a kind of a weaker Eastern Conference outside of Tampa Bay and see if Panarin or Bobrovsky get hot and can upset the Lightning in the conference finals or something like that. Uh, but outside of that, I know the Blue Jackets want to get a young forward that's on an NHL roster or pretty much NHL ready to come in and help replace his production. Uh, B-level prospect and a first-round pick uh, for Panarin if they move him. And I have him going to the Islanders Interesting. for Anthony uh, Bouvillet, Jacob Pavanka, who's a center prospect, who's pr- pretty much ready for the NHL as a two-way guy, kind of will fit into the torch system, and the Islanders' <laughs> first-round pick. That's interesting. I never would have thought of him going there. But at the same time, I just don't know if Columbus pulls the trigger on it just because it seemed like Yarmo Kikalan had wanted a huge haul, and I just don't know if that's enough of what he wants. Yeah, and I was thinking about being inside the same division, and they might face each other on the second round, too. Yeah, that's true, but at the same time, if it's one of those things where you know he's not going to re-sign, it's kind of like, who gives a shit? I mean, if everybody wins, everybody wins, you know? Yeah, I just have a sneaking suspicion that Lamorello is not going to squander the pretty miraculous season that they're having uh, out in Brooklyn. So I can see him move, making a move there. And it also gives the Islanders more time to get Panarin into their facilities around the team. And I know he wants to play in either New York or Miami and having the heads up, head start to bring him in and introduce him to everybody and get him comfortable. be like, this is where you could play long-term uh, might be something that the Islanders might be willing to overpay for. Yeah. I just don't know if, uh, Lou would coddle him in a sense. He, Lou just kind of, his rules are his rules. He doesn't play favorites. It's kind of square across the board. And I just don't know if he would, you know, leave him as an X factor in the sense of, you know, do whatever you do, just don't let me find out type deal. I don't think Lou plays that <laughs> game. Yeah, and the last move I have here. Now, I, I'm going to admit I didn't spend enough time looking at the salary cap situation to see if, uh, this can fit. You, I might need to end up including uh, somebody like Bacchus in a deal just for salary cap considerations. But I had the Bruins trading Trent Frederick, Erho Vakaninen, Peter, <laughs> is it Kalarik or Solarik? Yeah, Solarik. And their first rounder in this year to Ottawa for Mark Stone and Zach Smith. Ugh. No. No, I I like Stone. I don't like him that much. I, I like Smith, but I feel like Frederick could actually be a great second, third centerman. Uh, Vakaninen, kind of hard to what he could amount to, but I think he can actually come in and play some minutes, bigger body. Uh, Solarik, I mean, it is what it is. You can take him. I don't care. <laughs> um, I, I just feel like those two hold a lot of value and it's so hard because the Bruins are deep on that end but it it comes down to one of those things as to you know once as you trade one of the kids they're gonna bite you in the ass you you get rid of Donato 
he's going to end up fucking being a sniper somewhere. You get rid of Bjork, he's actually going to be healthy and be a decent player. Like, I, I just feel like it always happens with the Bruins where they kind of lose hope too soon. And maybe the league kind of needs to go a little bit towards Tampa with Victor Hedman. Because I remember at first there, there was all these rumors they were going to deal him. He's not the player they thought they were. And now, whatever years, what is it, eight, ten years in the league now? Like, you, you can't get him. He's he's not available. You know, there's no yeah. conversation. So I just think the hardest part is finding and establishing a player and then giving them the confidence to continue to grow. Because I, I feel like these entry levels are tough. You get your first three years to get a payday. And then it's either you're good enough to get a really big one or you get a bridge. And at your bridge, if you're not good enough, you're basically gone from the team. So I just feel like it's really hard on both ends to kind of make it work. Yeah, I was looking at it where I was kind of waffling back and forth with having Frederick or Donato as the centerpiece of that deal. Um, either way. But I was looking at it where Smith can provide kind of that grit in the bottom six that you guys might be looking for ahead of, instead of Solaric. And Stone is that, even though he's not a power forward, was that big-bodied, right-handed shot that would easily slide onto Krejci's right side with DeBrusque and kind of give you guys a different look. But he's a free agent at the end of the year, so you'd be, you guys would be giving uh, a lot of your prospect system that's ready for the NHL up for, even though he's a good player, but he's a rental. Uh, but I was just trying to find a fit there because I don't think you guys are going to make a move for Panarin. I don't think you guys are going to be able to get like Furland who's not really a top six guy. Simmons is kind of overrated at this point. So it's going to be interesting to see if you guys do make a move for a top six winger, who you guys bring in. Well, this is what sucks, is that now that Pasternak's hurt, no matter who Sweeney calls, they know we need somebody. So the cost is up. Even if Pasternak comes back in two weeks, which I don't think, I think it's probably going to be more four to six, because I think he's going to be in a cast for two weeks and then probably a little bit of PT. I just they're going to bend you over and he, he needs to know that. So whatever you're getting needs to be worth it on the other end. So if it's cutting, uh, you know, cutting ties with a prospect. Okay. But you need to make sure whoever you get ends up delivering because if you're giving up a top notch prospect for a hope and a dream, because people know they got you over the barrel, like it's just stupidity. So he'd be better off right now. I'm actually intrigued. They called up Carson Coleman from Providence. This kid was a free agent signing, ended up going to Providence. I was looking at his numbers, has about 28 points, but he was also like a plus 25 down there. So I feel like he might be a guy who can play both ends and give us something on that wing. Even if it's not much, just some sort of consistency I'd be happy with. Yeah, and I know kind of offline we were talking about like a Zuccarello for Brandon Carlo trade, which I'm on board for as a Rangers fan because we bring in that right-handed, hopeful top four guy that plays a stay-at-home game. You guys get your top six winger who can help dramatically on a power play and who is playoff tested. Um, so I wonder if that's something that, because I know the Bruins have been talking to the Rangers about Zuccarello and Kevin Hayes, so it'd be interesting to see if any of that comes to fruition. I'll do that Carlo deal now if you want to. What? So now I'm like nervous about why you're so ready to give up on Brandon Carlo. <laughs> no, I, I just feel like, like you said, you know exactly where you're getting out of him. I don't think he's going to be a top two guy. I think he's going to be one of those top four guys. Uh, steady, consistent. I just, I, I think he's kind of hit his peak. I think what he is now is what he's going to be. I just don't think that there's any more room for him to grow. Gotcha. Yeah. I think right now he would slide probably right onto the second pair right side with a guy like uh, Tony D'Angelo. And I mean, that gives you some offense and some defense. So that's like a perfect mix. Yeah. So those are my ideas. We'll see what happens. Deadline is February 25th. We'll be talking about it uh, next week's episode as well. Hopefully a few more deals been done. We'll see if the Blue Jackets actually kind of blow it up on a fly here. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, should we go to predictions this week? 
Absolutely. So kind of a short week because Kevin had the Black Plague. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with my lock of the week first, and it's Friday, February 15th. Making a cross-country trip for a late-night West Coast start, I'm going to go the Bruins. Probably, I'm going to even give a score for this one. I'm going to go 7-1 over Anaheim. I, I hope I stay up and it is that, because if I stay <laughs> up and it's not, I'm going to be a little disappointed. Oh, so, listen, I'll stay up for you. It's 7 o'clock out here for that <laughs> start time. I'll watch it. Yeah, just just text me the outcome. I'll be happy with that. Uh, so that's my lock of the week. Uh, my game of the week pick is... <clears throat> excuse me, it's on uh, Valentine's Day, Thursday. The Islanders on the road to take on Columbus. Islanders in first place. Columbus have won four in a row. Uh, we'll see kind of what shakes out there in terms of Columbus making a run and if that alters what they do at the deadline. I like that. Um, for my games of the week, both on Valentine's Day, ooh, <laughs> I got uh, Toronto at Vegas. And I have Washington at San Jose. I think that'll be uh, those will be interesting matchups. And then for my lock of the week, I have Saturday St. Louis at Colorado. I just feel like they're rolling right now. They're going to steamroll the Avalanche. <laughs> yes, St. Louis. One of my bold predictions for the second half to make the playoffs, but I wasn't quite expecting them to turn it on like this. Yeah, they they look good, man. So we'll, we'll see. Baruby got the train rolling. <laughs> um. So. A little quick rundown for today in NHL history. So February 13th, in 1999, the NHL says goodbye to the last arena still in use from the original Six Arrow when Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto hosted its final game. It opened on November 12th, 1931, with the Blackhawks as the opponent, and the arena closed down with the Blackhawks as the opponent. Uh, also, Bobby Orr has an assist in 1975 for the Boston Bruins in the road loss to the Sabres to become the first player, not defenseman, player in NHL history to reach 100 points in six consecutive seasons, but it's also the final 100-point season of his career. And lastly, Steve Larmer sets an NHL record for most consecutive games played with one team when he appears in his 777th game in a row with the Blackhawks. He breaks the record set by Buffalo's Craig Ramsey. And I'm actually going to throw in one more here because we're trying to soften him up for a possible interview. In 2008, Martin Brodeur sets an NHL record by winning 30 games for the 12th consecutive season. I like that. Marty! Um, who do you got for shout-outs this week? Uh, I want to keep it short and sweet uh, as usual. I want to give a shout-out to the First Lady. Uh, still doing her thing. Very proud of that. And also, I'm happy that she's still alive after her little hospital visit last week at midnight on Wednesday or Thursday. I'm very sorry that the first lady had to go to the hospital. With that, there comes a story of when you went to the hospital that I think we have to touch on rather quickly. Um, well, you could take it away as to why you were there, and then I can come in with the latter part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll try and make this as short as possible before we can get to the good stuff. Um, I was in New York with uh, my ex-girlfriend from college visiting a couple of her cousins. And I ended up getting some type of bug bite on my foot. And overnight, I guess I like scratched it open or whatever, and it got infected. But we walked the entire length of Manhattan the next day. I wore flip-flops, which did not help keeping that thing fucking clean. Um, by the end of the day, we had to take the bus back up to Boston. Four hours, my foot was on fire. Felt like there was a fucking flame over it. Go to work the next day. Foot's all swollen, really red. Starts turning purple that night. Go to work the next day again, and then I can't even stand on it. So it got to the point where I had to drive myself and my club foot to Newton Wellesley Hospital, where, of all people, I let big boy KC know that you know, his little schnooks was in the hospital, and he came burging, uh, bursting through those ER doors looking for me. Yeah, so I get the text saying I'm at the hospital. I was still summer helping Needham, so I was like, all right, perfect. Once I'm out of work, I'll stop by and see you. Um, So I walk in. I find out what room he's in. I walk up. We're there. I don't know if it was the nurse or the doctor, but um, 
I remember they had given you some medication. I believe they called it like red man thing. So you were going to get like really red and itchy scratches. Yeah. So um, for whatever reason, this person asked me who I was. And at this point, I'm next to Ben's bed. So I just reach over and I grab Ben's hand and I say, we're together. We're a couple. At this point in time, I am asked to leave the room. This is a medical doctor. This isn't a nurse. She got her face got greatly concerned when Kevin said, "I'm his partner." <laughs> and with that, when I leave the room, she then harasses Ben to uh, see if he needs an HIV test and if he is indeed HIV positive. So <laughs> because HIV is prevalent in the gay community, and I was like, he was joking. I'm not gay. He's just my friend that came to visit. She's like, oh. Okay, and yeah, he can come back in now. I was like, Jesus fucking Christ, dude. And he comes back in, and I tell him, and he's like, how dare you deny our love? <laughs> but yeah, he, he, dude, when you came, I was in the first room next to the ER entry doors, and everybody knows how slow those doors open, like the automatic ones in the hospitals. They started opening, and they weren't opening up quick enough for Kevin, who just pushes them open and goes, I'm here for Ben. <laughs> Make an entrance. You'll find him. <laughs> but, yeah, that's still one of my all-time – like, I have no problem embarrassing myself or just being, like, ridiculous in front of people, especially with uh, you, Kevin. But that was the most self-embarrassment I've ever had because this doctor literally asked if I needed an HIV test because I was your gay lover. Oh, dude, I was I was in tears as to, like – how appalled she looked because like she, <laughs> she thought it went from a bug bite to you have HIV. So to she, me, she was not like, very progressive. No, it was like her face when she opened the door after and walked by me and said, I could come back. She was not happy with me. Um, it was an accident. I'm sorry. All in good fun. Um, going forward, shout outs this week for me. <laughs> um, Dayquil and Nyquil, you have been phenomenal. <laughs> um, I, I've started just taking a cough syrup because I've had like the worst cough, and I'm not editing all the coughs out of the background, so you guys can all deal with that. It's been fucking brutal. Um, tomorrow, Valentine's Day, big shout out to Big Red, the the apple of my eye, the keeper of my heart. Um, what the hell, man? We just talked about how we were gay lovers. Oh uh, shit. Well, <laughs> with that being said. Everybody, um, this will be dropping tonight, Wednesday the 13th. Go out tomorrow night with your significant other, and if not, stay at home. You're saving a whole bunch of money. Get shit-faced. Watch a hockey game. Um, buy some lotion? Yeah, buy some jerkins. Whatever you got to do. I mean, hey, it, it's never let me down before. So th that's all I'm saying there. Uh, for everyone that is going out, hammer it hard, boys. Hammer it hard. Take your golfing and tee off. We'll see you next week. Don't give a damn what these keys are for I'm on a knife down in that road or ran Wanna find out what that house is made of Been too many nights since it's failed us make love I wanna ride some sheep ride be